Well, we're going to read from the Bible just now. We're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We turn to this passage every time we have communion. We hear it read. We will hear it read again later on in our service or part of it. But we're going to read the whole passage this morning to think a little bit about communion today, about what the Lord's Supper means. We're going to read this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11 from verse 17 to the end of the chapter. If you've got one of the Pew Bibles, it's page 1152, 1152, 1 Corinthians 11 from verse 17. This is God's Word. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I receive from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further directions. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this word. Thank you. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 11, those verses that we read earlier, familiar verses, at least some of them are, and yet we want to revisit them again and think through something of the Lord's Supper. I, I, I don't know if you can recall what some of your first memories of church were. Maybe for some of you, uh, that's more recent because either you're younger or you haven't been in church, involved in church all that long. But for others, perhaps the, the uh, memories are quite some time ago. One of the things I, I remember very early on is sitting in Kilkeel during a communion service because in those days in, in that church, just about everybody sat through the whole service, even if, if they weren't taking it, children uh, as well. And so I got to experience that from an early age. And, and 
from early on, I, I really didn't understand all that much that was going on. I knew that it was focusing on Jesus, and I knew it was incredibly special. There was a, a difference to it, even if the details were not all that clear. Eventually, when I was about 18, I think, I went on to some membership classes. I learned a little bit more. But even then, if I'm honest, I only had the most basic understanding of what communion was all about. And I suspect that in that, I, I, I'm not alone. Maybe some of us uh, really have that sort of same idea that, that this is very special. We know that it focuses on Jesus. And, and beyond that, we'd end up saying something like, well, here's what it means for me. I think we can do much better than that. I, I want to look again at this special gift that has been given to the church of the Lord's Supper. It's there to help us in our walk. It's one of the means of grace. It's one of those places where God has said He will meet us. I heard a great illustration this week. If you had to go down to Dublin Airport to pick up somebody from, and they said they were coming in from the States, they were coming into Terminal 2, and uh, you, you thought, right, well, on the way down the road, I, I, you thought to yourself, I know how these things work. Well, we, we, we sometimes find that the planes are diverted and they end up in another terminal. I, I, I'll, I'll drive to Shannon instead because it's possible. It is, of course, possible that somebody would be diverted to Shannon. But the expectation is that we would go to, to Dublin to pick up our, our friend. Well, well, you see, Jesus has said to us, he will meet us in certain places. It's possible, of course, that he will meet us in other ways and in other places, as it were. But one of the places he has said he will meet us is around this table. How amazing to be invited to, as someone has said, to draw your knees up under the table of God. He has said that, that he will do this. And therefore, we want to understand it better, to use it as the blessing that he intends it to be. Now, in a moment, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians, but before that, let's say just a little word about this whole word, sacrament. What's a sacrament? The Lord's Supper is a sacrament. Well, we know that our catechism answers that question for us. A sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein by sensible signs, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. So God has given us sacraments to help us understand the gospel better and to guarantee the blessings of the gospel to us. So the gospel is proclaimed verbally, but it is also made visible and sensible in a way that we can touch, as it were, through the sacraments. They are God's gifts to us to make the gospel clear. Uh, Thomas Watson said, in the word we hear the Father's voice, in the sacraments, we feel the Father's kiss. Now, now if we think of the, the, the Christian life as a journey, then baptism is the sacrament at the beginning of that journey, and the Lord's Supper is the sacrament for the journey. It's, it's there to sustain us along the way. Baptism is only to be done once. Uh, that's not something that perhaps we've always realized. We cannot baptize someone again if they've already been baptized. We understand there's only one baptism, but the Lord's Supper is a repeated sacrament. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, and as often as you do it, he intended us to repeat this again and again. 
couple of weeks ago, we had um, a, a visit from some classes from St. Ronan's and Lurgan Junior High School. It was part of a, a shared education project, and they were visiting some of the churches in the town and looking at similarities and differences in the buildings and in the beliefs of Protestants and Catholics. And we always have questions that come up at that, uh, those meetings. They're, they're really, really helpful. We really enjoy doing that. And, and one of the questions is, why do you only have two sacraments? You might know that, that uh, in the Catholic Church, they, they teach that there are seven sacraments. Now, we believe in and we celebrate some of the things that the Catholic Church says are sacraments, like marriage, for example. But we don't designated a sacrament. So what, what is a sacrament according, uh, for, uh, according to our, our thinking? Well, it's a picture of the gospel. We've said that. Now, marriage is, for example, but, but uh, it's still not a sacrament in, in, uh, by our thinking. For, for a, something to be a sacrament, it has to have a, a symbol attached to it. It has to reflect something of the covenant of grace. It has to be instituted by Christ in the Scriptures and it has to be intended to be performed again and again until Christ returns. And so as we apply that criteria, we believe that there are only two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. So it makes what Jesus has done visible to us, and it guarantees what he has done to us in the gospel. Sacraments don't bring blessing automatically. They need to be received by faith. But as we do that, we should expect and claim that Christ will meet us here as we come to his table. Well, let's think about 1 Corinthians, this passage that perhaps above all others speaks about the Lord's Supper. Like, like so many of the letters, 1 Corinthians is, is written to address some difficult problems or some issues that were emerging in the church. And in Corinth, one of the problems were that they were not handling the Lord's Supper well. In fact, as you can see at the beginning of our reading, verse 17, their meetings did more harm than good. I'm always struck by that. Just, just being together is not automatically a good thing. That's really important for us to know. We, we want to be together well. But the good thing about the fact that the Corinthians were having problems was that it gave Paul the opportunity to set out some really helpful teaching about the Lord's Supper. For that, we're grateful. And we have, as part of that, the words of institution. You see from uh, verse 23 on, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. That's what we hear, we will hear later on uh, as we sit around the Lord's table. Now, whenever we look at, at, at this passage, we see that it is clear that the Lord's Supper has a, a past reference a present reference, and a future reference. We're going to think a little about that uh, today. That's how we're, we're going to think about it. What about the past reference? How, how does the Lord's Supper encourage us to look back? Jesus said in verses 24 and 25, twice he said, do this in remembrance of me. So, so it's clear that when he told us to do this, he wants us to look back at something. Looking back was very much part of what was happening with the disciples on the very first occasion that they had the Lord's Supper. They gathered in that upper room for a Passover meal. And the Passover was for Jewish people the time that they looked back to a great act of redemption in their history. 
God's people were delivered from God's wrath in Egypt. They were slaves there. And it was after the plagues, at the very end of the, the, the story of the plagues, there was the threat of the death of the firstborn. The angel of the Lord was going to come across the land, and, and the firstborn of every household would die. But uh, for God's people, if they were to trust God, and in His sign they were to trust and put the, the blood of the lamb that they sacrificed, that they killed, they put that on the doorpost, then the angel of the Lord would pass over them, and they would be saved. The blood provided a covering for all who would shelter under it, their firstborn would be spared. And you see, Jesus took the body at that, Jesus took the bread at that first uh, Passover meal, at that, that Passover meal that he celebrated with his disciples, the first Lord's Supper. And he said, this is my body broken for you. It's, it's, it's quite inescapable. Just as the, the lamb was broken for the people, so Jesus would be broken for his people. And you see how he says it's for you. It's a, he's a substitute. And it's pretty remarkable that the, the people of God had been doing this for way over a thousand years. For a thousand years, they'd been saying, this meal is about that event a thousand years ago, the Exodus. And now Jesus says, this is actually about me. And the cup, well, the new covenant in my blood, many years earlier, Jeremiah had prophesied a new covenant when God's relationship, you're my people, I will be your God, when that clear relationship uh, would come into a, a marvelous uh, new position, Jesus was saying that he would bring that about through his death. So let's be clear, a big part of what communion does is it helps us look back to the fact that Jesus has substituted himself for us by dying on the cross. Why do we need that? We need that because of the position that we are in as God's creatures who have turned away from Him. Just this week, speaking to someone who regularly comes to church and yet didn't quite grasp some of the gospel. And you, and you realize that, that, that we, we, we need to, to be clear about the gospel again and again, don't we? So, so what does the Bible tell us about ourselves? The Bible tells us what we already know at some level, that we are those who have broken God's law and fallen short of God's standards. We're all sinners, in other words. The penalty for sin is death. Romans 6 tells us that the wages for sin, the, the result of sin, the, the, the payment for sin is death. And that death is both physical and spiritual. Physical death is the separation of the soul from the body. Spiritual death is the separation of the soul from God. We deserve that sentence, and yet Jesus steps into our place. He becomes a substitute for us, and he suffers physical and spiritual death in our place. And we see this illustrated in the very opening chapters of the Bible's story. Adam and Eve disobey God. They, they break his command not to eat from one tree in the garden. They try to hide from God. That is futile. It's futile, however, because God comes looking for them. So though they are sinners and they're in the wrong, God does not walk away from them. He walks towards them. He seeks them out. 
and he begins to deal with the consequences of their sin. He does that by means of a sacrifice. An animal is killed. That hadn't happened in the story up to that point. And so Adam and Eve would have been horrified, and yet the point is made that they deserve to die, and yet God is showing that it is possible for another to die in their place. They were clothed with the animal's skins in order that they would remember that permanently. Now, the animal's death didn't actually deal with Adam and Eve's sin, but it pointed to the one who who would, the perfect sacrifice, who would, Jesus. So when we come around this Lord's table, we look back to Jesus and what he did for us. He took our place. He bore our penalty. I love the old hymn that we sometimes sing around communion. It was part of my memory growing up as well. Mine is the sin. This is one of the verses. Mine is the sin, but thine the righteousness. Mine is the sin, but thine the cleansing blood. Here is my robe, my refuge and my peace. Thy blood, thy righteousness, O Lord my God. So part of what we do is as we come around this table, is to recalibrate our our thinking. For we're so prone to put our trust within ourselves, our own performance, and yet we remember that the Lord Jesus has taken our place. Mine is the sin, but yours the cleansing blood. You did that for me, Lord. So we never go far from the the cross in the Christian life we see. You see, we, we, we look back often, and this helps us to do that. So there's something to remember, something from the past, something from the present then. There's a a drawing near to Christ. Paul's intention for the Corinthians was that their meetings would do good. Earlier on, he says that that in in, uh, taking communion, we're participating in the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is good that we would draw near to Christ, and that's why we call it a communion service. There's a a communion with the Lord Jesus. It's interesting to to trace the theme of God eating with His people through the Bible. The story of the fall, Genesis 3, is in fact the story of an illegal meal. Adam and Eve eat against God's command. Satan says to them, take and eat, and they do without God. But down through history, God graciously meets with his people and eats with them. So when God confirms the covenant at Sinai, there's a time when God brings Moses and the 70 elders up onto the mountain, and they eat and drink together in the presence of the Lord. And it says in uh, that passage that God did not raise his hand against the leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate, and they drank. How amazing. Jesus then comes and eats the Lord's Supper with his disciples. When he rises from the dead, he, he meets the two downcast disciples on the Emmaus Road, and he eats with them. He eats with the disciples on the beach when, the, when Peter is reinstated. We are told that we are to look forward to the wedding banquet of the Lamb. We, we'll say more about that in a moment. God comes to meet and eat with his people. So you think about it. Satan says to Adam and Eve, take and eat. And now, because of what Jesus has done, we are able to say, take and eat. How amazing. Part of the background to the Lord's Supper. Christ comes to meet with us 
at this meal. Now, exactly how Christ is present has been the focus of great dispute down through Christian history. There are a couple of extremes. Uh, On the one hand, the, the Catholic Church has taught that the bread and the wine become the actual body and blood of the Lord, not in appearance, but in substances. We call it transubstantiation. That, that explains why the, the bread and the wine are treated with such reverence within uh, the Catholic tradition, considered to be uh, elements of Christ himself. On the other extreme, there are those who say this is just a memorial, so it's just a, a, a memory of Jesus at the time of the Reformation. That was particularly taught by a chap called Zwingli. And the Reformed churches, which we're part of that stream, have taken a sort of a middle way on this. So Calvin talked about the the real presence of Jesus at this sacrament. Christ comes to us through the bread and wine, but by his spirit. He is spiritually present. His presence is very real, no matter what we might feel. So this is a particular occasion for worship and for drawing near. When we introduce communion later, I'm going to use these words from John D. Rhodes' denomination, the International Presbyterian Church. It's not only, we're going to say, it's not only a memorial, but a means by which God feeds us with the crucified and exalted Christ. So we, we meet here today, don't we, knowing that we need him, and here God feeds us with Jesus. There's real communion with Christ. There's also, however, real communion with one another. Because as we read that passage from Corinthians, it's clear that that their practice didn't reflect their unity in the gospel. Communion is meant to underline that. Paul had already said in 1 Corinthians 10, is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. So you see, we've been made one by our common belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, and and here we should reflect that. It wasn't happening in the Corinthian church. The situation was that they were meeting probably in one of the wealthy homes of a a, a well-off member, which was large enough to contain the church, and, and some of the church were poor, and some of the church were slaves, and so they didn't get to the meeting as soon as the others. They, they couldn't get away. The wealthier people could come at any time that they wanted, and, and there was a, a large meal on this occasion, and uh, they began to eat before everybody else got there, and some people had eaten lots, some people had drunk lots, and when others came, there was little left for them. So, so the very way that they celebrated the Lord's Supper showed that they were not unified at all. It was humiliating to those who had less within the church. Their social divisions were accentuated rather than a, a, a ignored. And, and Paul tells them off in the strongest of terms. And he puts down this pattern that will correct the abuse at the end of uh, the chapter that we read, verse 33. It's two basic directions. First, the church should wait for everybody to get there. It's not to be celebrated by a selected few. And second, they're to eat at home before they come so that if they're hungry, they won't be tempted to eat too much. Now, now you can see how those two principles then led to really what we do now today, where where we hopefully have eaten before we've come, but we don't give you so much that that you're going to be full and we all wait and eat together. 
Now, the Corinthians didn't seem to realize it, but they were actually being judged by their practices by Almighty God. You see that in verses 29 and 30. Anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Recognizing the body of the Lord, again, one of those little phrases that's been understood in a couple of ways. Is it recognizing the seriousness of what we're doing in terms of what these elements represent? Or is it recognizing the body as in the fellow believers? Perhaps it is deliberately ambiguous so that we can think about both. Because there's both to be a communion with the Lord and a communion with one another. And the Corinthians were being judged because they were not paying attention to those things. So gathering around the Lord's table, you see, gives us a present opportunity to take stock. We should be asking ourselves, how are we doing? Are we recognizing Christ? Are we trusting in Him for our salvation? Are we walking with Him? Are we turning from sin? But we should also be asking, am I walking in fellowship with my brothers and sisters? Because this speaks of unity. We, we share in one bread. We are one body. So present, communion with Christ and with one another. And in a word, future, we don't really have time to think about this, but there is a, a future element, this Jesus, who died and rose again and ascended into heaven, is continuing to work in and through his church, and then he is coming back. And when he does, all of his people will be gathered together. This great marriage supper of the Lamb. So this meal anticipates that greater meal. You know, when, when Moses and, and those 70 elders went up the mountain, they ate in the presence of the Lord. And Jesus often pictures the kingdom of heaven like a great banquet where we eat in the presence of the Lord. So you see, this meal is also saying we're going somewhere. One day we'll be with him. One day we will eat in his presence. Life has meaning. There is direction. We are passing through, but to something much greater and much better. And if we're his, We'll be there together. And so today, we're able to say that we're able to look back. We're able to think about the present. We're able to think about the future. We look back to what Jesus has done for us. Thank you, Lord, for giving your life for me so that in your eyes, I am right in your sight. We think about our communion with the Lord now. Lord, help me to walk with you now, today, to keep short accounts with you. We think about our communion with one another. How am I getting on with my brothers and sisters? And we think about the future. Lord, one day I'm going to be with you. Help me to be excited about that day, to live in the light of it, to give my all as I walk with you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you help us to remember. For we know that we're prone to think about all sorts of other things. But thank you that Jesus has died for us. Thank you that Jesus is with us. Thank you that we will be 
with Jesus. Help us to remember all that you have done for us, past, present, and future. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.